We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hi friends, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 190. Our guest today has an incredible equestrian history. She's been riding for years, and this year, earlier in March, she was inducted into the U.S. Show Jumping Hall of Fame. She has been a part of the Olympic teams, Pan American teams, World Equestrian Games teams, representing the United States, and she is just an absolute pillar in our industry. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Margie Engel. I would love for you to take me back to the beginning of how you first got into the equestrian world. Well, it's something I always loved the horses I had. Some horses in our neighborhood that were across the street from us, but uh, basically it was a not that kind. Of, no one in my family were involved with the horses, and I think from the first time they brought a pony to our kindergarten uh, for us to sit on to take pictures, and I just fell in love with them. And then I actually didn't get to start going out to the riding stable where I continued riding till I was in third or fourth grade. My best friend in elementary school, Andrea. She she went out there and rode. Uh, she started at a camp there, and she she rode. They had a lesson program in Miami at Gladwin's Farm, and they had boarding stables, both of horses, dogs, cats, and a riding school. And I just I just fell in love with them. It seemed like a great combination of. I always loved animals and I love sports, and it just seemed like a great combination of of the two. And there's just something so magnificent about the horses. It's just. I had a, it was like I had a passion for them the first time I saw them. Yeah, that is so cool. I feel like a lot of other equestrians can resonate with that idea that you, once you kind of get caught by the bug, it's, it's with you for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of kids we grew up with, even if they went on to have families and normal jobs and, and got away from it, they, it's always kind of in your blood and they come back at some point and they've, We've all stayed friends, and if they get a chance to come out to the barn and ride, they they like to, and we've all stayed in touch. And it's just something that it's. I think once it's in, in in your blood, it's just hard to get it out. Definitely. What did your junior years look like with riding? Well, to be honest, I I didn't really ever have my own horse till I was in my mid twenties. I owned part of one uh, when I first started. I my parents were a little worried because I was small between my size and them not knowing much about the horses. They were a little afraid of me starting to ride even to begin with. So I had to kind of beg day after day to take lessons and it's a very expensive sport. And they, they were putting my two older brothers through college. So, uh, I, I finally wore them down. I think by the time I came home and said, they let me muck the horses stalls and they let me, groom the horses. They, they knew I really wanted to do it badly. And the people at the barn explained to them that they were very safe and you didn't jump until you learned to have control on the flat. And so I finally convinced them to give me one lesson a week and they could afford that, but it is a luxury. And then I worked around the barn in exchange for lessons, doing everything from working in the dog and the cat kennel when I was really small because I, I wasn't big enough to groom the horses or tack them up or clean the stalls. They were worried I was going to get hurt. So 
I was very excited when I got, you know, enough worked around them enough to be able to groom the horses and, and muck the stalls in exchange for, for riding lessons. So I, my junior years were mainly just trying to do everything I could to be able to take lessons and ride. And I think the Kramers that own the farm saw how eager I was and how, that to ride. And they eventually, and I was a little bit of a daredevil. And I, with having the two older brothers, I didn't mind <laughs> riding the tough ones. And I was used to being a bit of a tomboy. So the more difficult they were, the better. So they eventually, when I was like 11 or 12, they gave me the job of breaking and, and uh, a lot of their young ponies and horses that they bred. And riding the ones at the school and the ones that were more difficult, I started catch riding from an early age then. And, and uh, that's when I first got my real job out there. And, and they they actually paid for lessons from me from like Karen Harnden and Penny Fires, Bibby Farmer, uh, the, all the clinics I did with George Morris, Don Stewart, and and Michael Page. Anyway, they had people come and do clinics and so forth, and they would pay for that in exchange for me helping rake and ride their ponies and horses that were always for sale. And that's how my junior year started out. I kind of rode everything and anything that, that anyone would give me to ride. I was very yeah. eager. I didn't. Mrs. Kramer used to laugh. She goes, I think if I brought a donkey out, you would, you would get on it. <laughs> but it was just the more difficult they were, the more of a challenge it was when I was a kid. The more they told me it wasn't a good pony or horse, the more, you know, it was a stopper or did this or that, the, the more of a challenge it was. Did you feel like growing up you had a favorite horse or like kind of a horse that sticks out in your mind, special? No, I, it's hard. I, I loved all of them. Uh, when I first started, probably my favorite pony was a pony named Garnet that was a, a bit of a ratty pony and she would dump even the older kids all the time. And that was, I liked her because she was ornery, I think, and was a bit of a challenge, but it was hard for me to get too attached to just one. Cause I knew in the back of my head, I was told that when I started to work there, that they were all always for sale or I was getting them, right. preparing them for the other people that own them. And, and, but you kind of fall in love with all of them for different reasons. The, the ponies that I broke uh, and rode from, when they were babies, it's hard not to get too attached to those. And, and I had one, a pony named Gladewin's Angel Wings that actually didn't get sold right away because he was a bit, he, he was very smart and he kind of, when people would come to try him, he was difficult for them. He was very easy when I did it, but he, he would test different riders out. So I, he was kind of one of my favorites because he, I felt like I had a real connection with him. And most of the other ponies that I broke were actually really easy and I loved all of them, but they got sold easier because they were they were very easy and mm-hmm. had different mentality than he did. But I mean, I, to name just one as a favorite is really hard. As I was starting out, I had I, I rode a lot, a lot of horses and ponies for different people. And as a junior starting out, I I rode probably anywhere. I started turning, you know professional even at an early age when I was still a junior and I probably rode anywhere from 40 to 70 something rounds a day with all the hunters and and the jumpers that I started riding in my later junior years. Were you always I think from like an early age on did you know this is what you wanted to do? 
I always knew that I wanted to do something with horses. I, my parents really were not, not being that knowledgeable about the horses and always thought it was kind of a sport more for kind of a luxury people with a, a lot of money. I didn't think it was something that I could do later in life unless I got a good job and, and uh, was able to afford it that way. They didn't think it was something that I could make into a profession. And I wasn't sure if I could either. I did go to college and, and I'm glad I always liked school too. So I'm glad I, I did that because I think I took business courses because I think whatever I was going to do, that was going to help me in the future to be able to run the business. Because with, with the horses, it's not all about just the riding. I wish it were, but it's a lot about managing all the horses, managing the travel, managing uh, all the grooms and, and the clients and organizing. There's so much more that goes into it with than just the riding part. The riding part is, is the icing on the cake. But you, I've seen a lot of top riders not be able to make it. It's if you don't have a good business sense. So I, I always knew I wanted to do something with horses. I just wanted to have something to fall back on. And like I said, I love school. So I went, went to school and got a degree in, in uh, business education. Right. Definitely. Did you take a break or how did you kind of navigate riding while you were in school? No, to be honest, I, I was worried that if I took a break, that I, I wouldn't have my job when I got back because I yeah. was working time at the barn. And what I did the, the first year I went to college, I, I found a college uh, that was very close. My parents really want me to go. My brother went, both my brothers went away to college. One went to University of Penn and then Stanford and the other one to, you know, they all went away and, and went to very good schools. And I was afraid if I went away that I wouldn't still have the job in it. And I love riding at the farm. So we kind of compromised and I went to school in Miami and the barn was probably only about five miles from the first college that I went to. And my first semester, I went to school. I, had, I took a full load, which I probably shouldn't have, from seven till noon and took all full credits the first year. And then I rode all, until it would get dark. And then study when I got home and I, I kept a 4.0 average, but I, in the meantime, because I was doing so much, I got mono. Mm. <laughs> it was, uh. I just tend to, I tend to overdo. So uh, after that year, I did back down and I talked to my parents about, I did, was going to finish, but I just took much fewer credits. I started doing some night school and started taking fewer credits so I could work full time at the barn and, uh, once I was able to do that, and it, it took me longer to, to get through college that way, but I was able to, to ride the horses full time then and just I took fewer credits. I just didn't do them all during the day. I did a few early and then I did some night school. Nice. So, yeah, I feel like a lot of with a lot of equestrians, you just have to make it work. And <laughs> it, it yeah, seems, it doesn't seem like there's enough hours in the day. You just, you just. No, that, that was all a problem. But I ended up going to FIU and took night classes there and um, still able to keep my job full time at the barn. Nice. And it ended up working out. I, I probably in hindsight overdid, but I was able to do both. And, and uh, the horses were really what I wanted to do in the long run anyway. But I think the school for sure helped and running the business. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Then as you were 
finishing up school, fully entering your professional career. Walk me through a couple like moments in time in those beginning stages that you feel like were really turning points or highlights in your earlier career. Well, it's difficult to say. Every every time I had a, a nice horse and they performed and did well and they got sold, that was always that always helped me to yeah. get new clients and new horses sent to me. And it, it was kind of a double-edged sword. It was very positive in one way and negative in another way. Because as I get to the, to the top level, then they would, would get sold. So probably one of the turning points were when I first got a horse named Adrian that was probably... I think he was five years old at the first time I started riding him, but another dealer had seen me riding one of the very difficult jumpers that I had. And, and he figured if I was willing to do that, he would, I'd be willing to ride some of his sail horses. So he sent me some horses and daydream was one. And of course he's a very talented horse. So at the beginning, everyone was trying to buy him as a grand prix prospect. And my father is was a CPA and he had a good business sense and he helped me put a limited partnership together and and get so daydream didn't get sold so I was able to keep him and and move up to the Grand Prix level before he got sold and that was the turning point for the jumper level which is what I always wanted to do before daydream I had a lot of horses that were champion of the country and they were first year green second year green green confirmation and I got to ride for a lot of different professionals, Christina Slusmeyer, Jan Francis, Bibby Farmer. I mean, I can't name all of them. I did a lot of catch riding for different professionals from an early age on, and, and all of them were learning experiences, and all of them were lovely horses. And And I loved all the hunters that I got to ride with them. I, I got a mare called Sneak Preview that was probably one of the nicest hunters around at that time, and she got, that, that was a, a great experience. But they all got sold. But what was really in my heart was to do the jumpers. So I think probably the turning point was with Daydream, being able to keep him and my dad helping me put the limited partnership together. And once I started, people started seeing me in the jumper ring more because they thought of me more as a hunter rider. Then I started getting sent other jumpers and other Grand Prix prospects. Okay, gotcha. Once you started doing more in the Grand Prix's, were you working with a lot of clients where you were doing some hunters and or working with equitation kids? What did that look like for you? Or what was there a point that you primarily focused on the jumpers? Well, starting out, you know, back when, when I was riding, every you kind of did both all the time. So even when I was doing the pony hunters and riding the ponies myself, because I had raised a lot of the ponies, I was doing lessons and I had clients that the people that I had helped with different ponies that we sold them because I knew them kind of inside and out. So I was already doing some teaching and training even before I was out of the juniors. And instead of getting paid because you weren't supposed to be paid as a junior, they would buy me things like uh, my first saddle, the Kramers got me in and uh, some of them bought me riding shirts or things like that instead of getting paid. But once I was out of the juniors, I for sure still did the hunters and the, but I was already doing, I was already training people and kids on ponies and equitation and hunters and, and jumpers since I, since I was out of the juniors. So I was already doing a little of everything. And as soon as I changed into 
you know, out of the junior division. But I, it wasn't until probably I think I was in my, I don't know, maybe my later 30s. And I, I used to ride, I used to like, I tend to overdo, like I said, I used to ride once I turned professional, anywhere between 60, 70 rounds a day. And wow. I had a lot of people that I was training and I had help with um, Spank Deemer. He helped do a lot of the training when I was running from ring to ring. Bobby Braswell helped me. I had a lot of different people that helped me on the ground and helped with some of the other riders. But after a while, when you're spreading yourself too thin, it was, and, and plus when I was riding so many, I actually ruptured a disc in my back. and then. That's what the doctor said. You know, if you want to continue this, you're going to have to cut down on how many you do. So wow. what I did was I started riding less of the young horses and the hunters, and I got second riders to help with that. And then I started to concentrate. Once I got nicer jumpers to ride, I started to concentrate more on the jumpers. And I did very few hunters, probably starting like around 25 years ago. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when I, uh, probably the, probably the late nineties, mm -hmm. I was mainly concentrating on the jumpers more because of situation to a big degree because I, and, and plus it was just, it got to the point when everything got so specialized that it was difficult to get from ring to ring. Right. I mean, it's almost impossible when the, when the circuit started getting to the point where you have more than three or four rings going at once it was you know you feel kind of guilty holding up the ring so trying to get from one ring to the other was impossible so i i did start to get other people and hire them to help ride some of the young horses and some of the hunters well especially if you're riding that many <laughs> yeah like i said i i i overdid for sure and and i feel like when you spread yourself too thin you don't get to do anything correctly you know you you don't get to give the horses the time they need and, and, uh, or the clients. It was kind of difficult and to be everywhere at the same time. What would you say? Cause I'm sure over the years, there have been moments mm -hmm. in time where you have kind of struggled from burnout, whether it was physical or mental or emotional. And it's something that I think a lot of equestrians go through when they do, you know, when they are spreading the, themselves too thin or doing this day in and day out for, uh, you know, weeks, months, years on end without break. So how did you kind of combat that and work through some of that burnout over the years? You know, I, I, I know it sounds silly, but I don't know that I ever really, like I had burnout. I, I, it was so difficult for me to be able to ride even when I was starting out that I, every minute I could spend with the horses, I just, I truly loved it. And uh, I think my family, just being around them and they're, they kept you grounded and they're, all of our conversations were non-horse oriented and, and we did family vacations together when I was growing up, yeah. which I was probably the worst one about going to, but, and, and they were very close knit. And I think they were good to lean on when I was riding and, and I did try and do some other things, whether my husband and I would go diving sometimes and I mainly scuba dive. I mean, I, I mainly snorkeled. He's good. Cool. Um, play and do little breaks in between if you get a chance but for sure i was he he helped me to to take some vacations because i i didn't want to ever leave i i wanted to just do the horses 24 7 and i felt guilty almost if i took a day off so 
Um, right. Both my parents and he kind of pushed me to do something else part of the time. And it makes you much more eager to get back to it when you're getting back. But I, I don't know that I ever felt burnt out with the horses, though. Yeah, I think it really helps that you have such a passion for it and that at that point in time, I mean, a lot of your day was riding, which can be pretty great, <laughs> even though it can be tiring or hard on your body. And I was very lucky that, you know, I, I had a family that was very supportive, even though they didn't understand it, but mm-hmm. it, they were good to talk to and they, they all did different things. So it kind of, instead of being at dinner time and you're talking horses all the time, you're really talking about something different all the time. And, mm-hmm. and it's not, it just helps keep you grounded. And, uh, they were very supportive, even though it was something that they didn't really know much about. My mother even uh, learned enough to write a book about the horses wow. <laughs> later. Cause I, like, I mean, she, they were, they were just great with everything and had very strong family ties and family values and morals. And it just kind of, it just kind of keeps everything grounded. I, I, they just were fantastic with everything. And even though they didn't know much about the horses, they would try and come and watch and learn. And they, they never had any pressure on me. They were just thrilled if I didn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their expectations were just because they knew I was a daredevil and, uh-huh. and I did get hurt quite a bit because I'd get on horses probably I shouldn't have sure. when uh, I was starting. So I, I never had any pressure from them. And to be honest, most of the people I rode for, same thing. The, I put more pressure on myself than any of my owners did. The Kramers were lovely. They were like second parents to me. And and I, I was always very fortunate to be in, in a good place. I mean, the, all of us growing up at Gladewinds were like a big family. We used to have slumber parties where we slept in the barn on hay bales. And we, we didn't want to go away to camp because it was like in the summers, we all went out there and it was just a big mm-hmm. group of kids and we loved being out there. We were just really barn rats and loved it taking a little break because I am so excited to talk about our sponsor today, Jiv Athletics. Have you heard of them? They provide women the comfort and confidence they deserve within everyday athletic wear, which all starts with what's underneath. Jiv Athletics is an athletic undergarment company that specializes in performance underwear for women. Not only does Jiv Athletics offer ultra premium quality, their undergarments are breathable, wickable, tagless, roll-free, and camel toe proof. Inspired to end constant underwear tugging during a workout or a ride, Jiv Athletics creates undergarment pieces to fit to make wearing yoga pants or breeches all the more comfortable. Using breathable luxe fabrics, this woman-owned brand understands the importance of eliminating unsightly silhouettes with a patent-pending 3D mold spacer that blurs the lines between tech and fashion. I just recently got my first pair of Jiv Athletics underwear and it is the most incredible pair of underwear that I have ever owned. I give all my thoughts and some more information about Jiv Athletics over on my lifestyle page, my equestrian style. But if you want to check out more information and the products that they have, head over to their website at jivathletics.com. That's J-I-V-A-T-H. L-E-T-I-C-S dot com. Thank you so much, Jiv Athletics. You are amazing, and I cannot wait to see you more and more in the horse community. All right, let's head back to the episode. Speaking of 
being safe and trying to avoid injury. You've had a few injuries from time to time. Tell, tell me about a couple. I know there was one a while back with a, a horse that fell on you. Well, I've had quite a few. I, I, I mean, most <laughs> of the time, in hindsight, they could have been prevented if I just had a little more self-preservation. Uh, most of the time it was riding, it was cat rides or riding horses that I shouldn't have ridden that later people said, you know, you don't have to keep riding the ones that are other people don't want to ride anymore. But I, I felt kind of, I felt that some people that had problems that started me in the business that had horses that were difficult, I, I felt like I kind of owed it to them. But I think the one, maybe the last year, that was just, that wasn't even a bad fall. It was just a freak accident. The horse was, I was just walking and I'd switched horses and the horse, I thought it leaned over just to scratch its ankle and it somehow it had some kind of colon ulcers and it threw itself on the ground and rolled on top of me and it kind of split me like a wishbone and broke my hip wow. and that was not pleasant, but I've had plenty. The other ones were usually a little more dramatic with the horses flipping and things like that and uh, or going in footing that I shouldn't have one time mm. before rain and I scratched all my horses and but it was a catch ride and the people want, and I rode the horse anyway and the horse slid into a jump and I ripped my face with the back then they had metal jump cups. So there's been lots of them. I just, and like I said, you try and learn from them and go on. I, when you're young, you think you're invincible and, and it doesn't take much to get better. And then, you know, as you start to get a little bit older, you realize it takes longer to heal. So I don't get on as many of the difficult ones as I used to, or the young horses. I don't do a lot. I don't do any of the breaking of the horses anymore. Which as, I used to do. as you've been a part of the industry longer and, and as you've gotten older, did that kind of mentality, like, did, do you find yourself getting more nervous before, or before you didn't or what, how has that kind of changed your riding? I, I really don't think that I, I don't really think I get that nervous. I, I maybe put a lot of pressure on myself if I'm riding a horse for somebody else because I feel obligated to try and do really well. Not that they're putting pressure on, on me, but I do myself. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's maybe changed with age that I didn't have to do when I was younger, I have to work out more now to stay in shape than I did when I was younger. And, uh -huh. and uh, when you're younger and I'm riding that many horses a day, you're you're pretty fit just from doing it. And I maybe don't the thing that's changed, I don't ride as many of, like I said, the ones that are horses that have different problems. I don't ride as many of, of those horses I used to. Uh, I, I was kind of the test dummy starting out for a lot of horses. Right. And that's usually how I got hurt was just when people were seeing what a horse could do. And, and I, I like the challenge. And I, I, at that point, when you're starting out, you have to kind of ride whatever people send you. And and I think in a lot of ways, though, it, you learn a lot. You learn how to work with the horses. You learn patience. You learn uh, to work through problems rather than just having someone else to hand them off to. And you had to make it work. You had to figure out a way to make the horse want to do its job and want to do it well and not not bolt or not run out from the jump or not stop at the jump or not be spooky. You, you had to kind of develop a horse sense. So I don't know that I would have changed a lot of that growing up i it makes you appreciate 
the nice horses you get later in life that much more. Nowadays, it seems like everyone wants a the quick fix and a and if it doesn't work, they just go on to something else instead of working through the problems. But when we started, we we had to work through. If the horse had a problem, you worked through and made it work. You didn't just get rid of it and get another one. What do you do now to stay physically fit or what, what exercises or what things do you like to do that you feel like really translate well to your riding? I don't know that um, I enjoy doing the working out so much. I don't mind it, but I do a lot with, I have a Nordic track and I do some of the stationary bicycle. And a lot of what I do is I, I take both uh, those bands, the elastic band, and I can carry those and, my free weights with me to the horse shows that are and do different exercises that my physical therapists have given me through different injuries or when I, I am worked on some in between shows and they give me different exercises to do to, where you have weak points to try and help strengthen those so you're not using it's not the repetitive motion of using the same muscles over and over and you're trying to strengthen other areas you've also had some amazing achievements over the years. Tell me a little bit about some wins or events that have really stuck out in your mind um, as highlights of your career. You know, all of them are so special in their own ways. I've been, like I said, I, I can't say enough how blessed and how fortunate I've been to have so many nice horses to go through my life. But starting with Adrian, I remember you know, when I was starting off, everyone said to me, oh, you're never going to be able to make it in this business because you know what? You don't have the financial backing. You're not the right size. They, they more were trying to get me into racing and to the thoroughbred. And, and I even did a little bit of galloping just to earn extra money when I started. But it wasn't really in my heart what I wanted to do with the horses. But I think probably when Daydream first won my first big Grand Prix at a football stadium in Cincinnati, it was a AGA Grand Prix and he was only six years old at the time and for me that was the first time I had won in a major place with riders that I had looked up to since I was a little kid and I would offer to groom for free just so I could see some of the top riders at the horse show compete and see how they warmed up the horses and you can learn so much even from the sidelines watching what the other top professionals do and all the people I'd read books about and so forth they were in the class and that was probably that that sticks with me was one of the one of the highlights of, of uh, when that Grand Prix and, and it was in Cincinnati in a, in a football stadium, which made it very special. I think going to the Olympics for sure, everyone that's that's a highlight in anyone's career. And I Aaron was in his first year of competing at the Grand Prix level and and finished top ten individually and was clean in the Nations Cup for the team and and that was really exciting and just. The camaraderie you have with the different people that are on the team, Laura Kraut went, Lauren Huff, and and uh, Noah Garson and Todd. It was just it was just a fun experience, and going to Sydney in a country like that, they would, they, people there were fantastic. I think the first year when I went to to the first year that I went and competed overseas with with team, and that was in '97. Laurel was only seven or eight years old, and she. The very first horse show we went to was in Rome, which was beautiful. And we had a real, probably one of the strongest teams I've ever been on. It was with Ann Krasinski and Eros, and McLean was on it, and Allison Firestone. 
and and uh, we for very first horse show we had a totally clean slate and won a, ba- a bonus in the Nations Cup there they gave like a hundred thousand bonus to any team that could could finish the two rounds with no no faults wow and then Laurel went on to we had to do three rounds back then for the Grand Prix and she won the Grand Prix and that was that show really sticks out as one of my favorite shows and that was one of the first shows I remember my husband said well if we're going all the way there you have to at least spend some time sightseeing so he <laughs> kind of forced me to do something other than the horses and we did go and see a lot of Rome and all the, the Coliseums and the Vatican and everything and it was just it was just a fantastic experience all the way around. And like I said, each win has a different significance. I mean, it's just really hard to pick one over the other. The first year I was AGA Rider of the Year, that that was the first big thing I had ever won. And and I remember my parents think, yeah, you used to get a car, and I that was the first brand new car I had ever had. I won a Cadillac Alante, and uh, I think before then I had always had. I, I my first car was a old you know kind of hand-me-down for my parents and then luckily i was once i won that that was that was so exciting for me and it was a big deal car and and uh i i love that car yeah (laughs) wow i know also earlier this year you were inducted into the u.s show jumping hall of fame tell me a little bit about the significance of that and and what that was like for you that was a, a great honor. I mean, to to be thought of in the industry at that level is fantastic, and it's a great honor. And and I was fortunate enough to 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 have that. And it's just it's I can't. It's a little surreal, a little hard to describe. I would have never thought that a few years back. But and the Palm Beach actually had a Hall of Fame, and my parents got to be there. We had they have a sports Hall of Fame that, that I had a few years back. And that was exciting also. And it meant a lot because my whole family was there at the, when I was inducted into that one. And I don't think they have, I think I may be the only equestrian in that. I, I'm not sure. Is that, the, is that the international, the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame? No, that's another one. I'm, okay. I'm in that one. You're in also several halls. <laughs> well, that one, I, I know there's another. I know Robert Dover is in that one also. So I'm not sure, but I think the one possibly in Palm Beach, I think it's, I'm the only equestrian. I'm not a hundred percent sure. At the time I was. Yeah. Amazing. So that was kind of exciting. And I think the first time I, my brother saw me in Sports Illustrated on the cover, that was <laughs> uh, actually, because they, they thought this horse thing was just a hobby and just, a, you know, sure. you, they, our country, there's so many other sports that are a bigger deal. And, and it was, it's good. It keeps you humble and gracious and mm-hmm. they, they didn't know it was really in Europe it's a much bigger deal you know it's much higher up right. as far as the level of sports but in our country it's we've got so many other things ahead of it so when, when I was on in sports illustrated they thought that was a big deal I, I remember they were you know I, I didn't know that, that this was this big a deal I thought you're just playing around <laughs> like horsing around <laughs> I remember my grandmother asked what I was ever going to get serious and and do have a real job. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. That's great. Tell me a little bit about an area of this industry that you're really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or just doesn't talk that much about. I guess, you know, it's hard to pick 
is one thing. I think everyone does their best to, to try and, and learn as much about the sport as they can. But I, I feel like that the more I'm in the horses, the, the more we're getting away from the real the real love for the horses themselves and the real passion that people have for the horses. It's kind of that instant gratification that, that we're getting into and just worrying about competing and winning ribbons and winning classes and, and not really learning about the horses from the bottom up, you know, not really knowing uh, what they're supposed to get to, to eat and, and how much time they should be turned out and, about the blacksmith and about the vet and about tacking them up and about grooming, just, just learning the ins and outs and knowing more about them. You know, I think the more knowledge you have about the horses, most of the people that are in the sport for a long period of time, and even if they'll tell you, you never stop learning. I don't care what age you are. You're always learning more about them. I don't think you can ever have enough knowledge if you want to really be in this industry and whether you're doing it for pleasure or to compete i mean even people that do it for pleasure you still have to know your horse's likes and dislikes and i just i just think it's a shame now that it seems like kids spend so much time on social media and doing all that they could take some of that time and spend it with the horses and and learn more about them and and i think that's maybe it's not something it's not it's talked about some but and I know I'm as guilty as probably most of the other people in the industry. It's you kind of try and talk to your new students about it, but after a while you get kind of, you just go with the flow and you're an enabler to a large degree too, because you just end up getting, letting other people do things for them and, and they don't really learn responsibilities. And there's so many other values and things you can learn from the horses just by working around them. That's so true. Yeah, it's definitely a hard dynamic, especially how everything is so much more go, go, go also. And just, you know, how we were talking about how there aren't enough hours in the day, but I think it seems like even more so, you know, trying to, when I'm working with my clients and teaching and, you know, you want to spend as much time in the saddle as you can. And then that definitely, you know, puts grooming and and tack cleaning and, and, you know, understanding other parts of the horses and bathing and, you know, all the things that you are listing, it unfortunately puts it on the back burner. And especially with the industry now, I feel like, especially in, in our world with Hunter Jumper, a lot of times we are just constantly showing. And I think we're, we were just talking before we started this interview that we're just about to enter a quieter time, you know, like a, a few maybe quiet weeks off before getting ready for winter season. And, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's pretty go, go, go the rest of the year and being able to have some more time to just kind of breathe and like check in with your horse and get to know your horse off of the saddle, I think is, is just as important and a really good reminder that you brought up. Oh, exactly. I mean, there used to be, and when you say we kind of have a breather now, there's not even any weeks off. This is the only sport that there's really no downtime. You show, yeah. you can show every week of the year if you Absolutely. want to. In the now, I mean, even even over the holidays, which is a real shame. And I and I like I said, I like to look at the silver lining and everything. With that's a one thing with COVID that at least not going to the horse shows all the time. I did see a lot of the kids at least you've got to spend a little more time with the horses we were very fortunate because it's outside you're not around all these people and you could spend some time bonding with them you could spend some time 
learning about them and, and maybe the horses wouldn't break down as much or, or get sour or get injured as much if, if they thought of them more as a living being and not a bicycle or a you know tennis racket or something. You can't just run them into the ground and, and unfortunately they're not thought of as, as a living being a lot of times. Right. Yep. What would be advice that you would give to someone kind of just starting out their professional career within this industry? I think one of the biggest things is try and learn from every experience you can, whether it's reading books, watching clinics, going in clinics, working. Uh, I, I did a lot where you're a working student or who, you know, someone that you respect. I, I did that as much as I can. And, and I could care less about how much I was getting paid. I, I went and groomed for people just in exchange for getting my room paid for and be able to go to some of the top shows and learn mm-hmm. how everything's done and, and be able to watch some of the top riders. You can learn something from every experience and, and not be afraid to, to make mistakes and, and work around the horses as much as possible. Let them be your teachers. They, they'll tell you they're, they're pretty straightforward. If you do something they like, they let you know it. And if you do something the wrong way, they let you know that too. So uh, listen, make sure you're listening to them all the time too. There's just, you can learn something from almost every experience and, and get something positive out of it. But being a working student is a big part of it. I know everyone wants to go straight into the competing part and show at the top level, but I think it's important to learn about the horses from the bottom up. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Well, Margie, thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through your life and all of the highs and lows and everything in between. I think what you've done is so remarkable and it's it's so cool to, to kind of get an overview of your story, but to continue to follow you as you are um, continuing to be a top professional in our sport. So I'm con- excited to continue to watch your journey and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.